Crank up the volume and get ready for real-world bird hunting by listening to the Wingman Podcast by Eastman's. Now your host, Todd Helms. Talk about being on the X. Hey guys, today's episode is brought to you by Federal Premium Shot Shells. And I just wanted to give a quick shout out and say thank you to Federal for standing by the Wingman brand since the beginning. They are our oldest partner and we... I can't. I can still remember to this day when Brandon Mason told me that they signed a contract and wanted to partner with us. I was so excited because I've been a Federal fanboy forever. I've been using Federal ammunition since way before I was ever involved in the outdoor industry, and I'm a firm believer in every product that they sell, whether it's rifle ammunition, whether it's pistol ammunition, or in the case of wingmen, shot shells. Everything from their TSS lineup, their turkey shot shells, their high shock lead target loads. Man, everything that they have just absolutely kills it. But I want to I highlight one product that they make in particular today, and that is the Federal Premium Speed Shock, or a.k.a. Blue Box. You guys have seen it. On the shelves, if you're if you're a waterfowler, you know how awesome good old Federal Blue Box is. If you need a load that you can buy a lot of, buy a couple cases of, and you can afford it, you can buy those cases without breaking the bank. It's Federal Blue Box every single time. My pick, three-inch number twos. There's not a situation in waterfowling that I've encountered where I can't cleanly take birds with three-inch number twos, especially if I'm being a little picky and shooting stuff in the decoys but man i've taken especially canada geese at some pretty jaw-dropping shots with that federal blue box stuff it's awesome it comes in a variety of loads it comes in a variety of gauges my pick is the 12 gauge three inch number twos i've shot everything from pheasants on public property in south dakota where you had to shoot a non-toxic load to geese sandhill cranes and obviously ducks, mallards, teal, you name it. Three-inch number two, Federal Premium Speed Shock. It just flat kills. Check it out. This fall, I know you won't be disappointed. Hey, guys. Welcome to another episode of the Wingmen Podcast with your host, Todd Helms. And I've got Robert Brewer from Combat Waterfowl with me today. What's going on? What's going on? How y'all doing? Good, man. Good. All right, Robert, thanks for taking the time and jumping on with us, man. Your brand is an interesting brand. It caught my eye mm, probably a little, a year ago, maybe. I'm thinking I started seeing it pop around on social media, and I'm like, what is this, this Combat Waterfowl? Brick, give us a rundown, man. Uh, all right, uh, so Combat Waterfowl, first off, appreciate you having me on. Um, Combat Waterfowl started in 2019, June 1st to be exact. Um, we kind of came together, me and a couple of best friends, and you know, we wanted to start, actually, let me back up. One of them wanted to start an apparel brand. Uh, I was painting decoys actually. And, and I had like a little decoy repainting company at the time. And, you know, he was like, man, you should definitely do, uh, you should definitely do an apparel brand. And I was like, man, like, nah, I, I think I'm good. You know, I, I'm, I'm good. I don't want to do an apparel brand. Nah, man, you like, we need to do this. I'm like, all right, man. So, uh, you do it and uh, come up with your idea. Like we'll, we'll go with it. So <clears throat> decided to go for it. And, uh, and 
we're trying to figure out a name, right? Cause that's like the first thing you got to figure out. You got to figure out, okay, what are we going to call it? You know? And we went through and we didn't want to do anything like lo location oriented, you know, um, because that's cutting off your market from a business aspect. You know, it didn't really make a lot of sense. So we decided, okay, uh, we don't want to do that. And I put him in charge of the name. He called me one day and he was like uh, combat waterfowl. And I was like, okay, like, tell me why. So, um, Cody was driving around his truck and he, he had his combat infantryman's badge, which is, a um, we're 11 bravos in the army and, um, which is infantry and infantry get a badge. If they're involved in a conflict in combat, it's called the combat infantryman's badge. Well, he had his up on the headliner of his truck. He was just driving around and it just kind of hit him, you know, combat waterfowl. It's simple, direct. It represents, it represents who we are, where we came from, how we got to where we are. Um, so originally when the business was started, the goal was to kind of showcase different species of waterfowl than you would ordinarily see on apparel, uh, in their natural habitats. And then, you know, that was, that was the 41 series, right? We're going to do all 41 species. Uh, and then, you know, we were going to, uh, have like a guide series that showcase the different ways that, that people hunt, um, you know, whether it's body booting on you know the eastern shore or dry hunt dry field hunting you know ducks in the midwest or whatever it is layout boats whatever and we're going to showcase the different styles of hunting all over the country in the world and you know so we got into this and we were going on and an idea popped into our head to you know i don't know about you but i fancy a pair of crocs you know uh when you slip your feet out of I some I, I won't tell you what i'm wearing right now <laughs> Clearly, I'm also wearing Crocs. Yeah. So, um, so, so you know, you know the, the relationship between the outdoors and Crocs. They're like, oh, we'll just do a Croc shirt. So we did, and man, it went nuts. Like people were all about it. People went crazy for it. Um, and then you know, I don't know about you, but I also maybe fancy an adult beverage every once in a while, nice cold snack. And uh, we, I thought about, I saw I was sitting in a bar, and. I saw a beer label from the Budweiser label and I just picked it up and I started reading it, you know, and you know, Budweiser label has all kinds of words and all this stuff on it. And I was like, man, this would be hilarious if I made every single one of these words, something to do about a merganser. So we did. And, uh, and we dropped that shirt again, it went nuts. And, you know, meanwhile, like we're trying to push these like super beautiful pieces of art, you know, this artwork that's just like awesome with these, species of birds that you don't ordinarily see and you know like trying to stick with our vision of what we wanted to do and man people just wanted the funny stuff yeah. and we found our market we found our niche and so when we started we had this coot show, um that was coots unlimited was our was our idea and unbeknownst to me or anybody else apparently there's some little lodge in wisconsin or something that's got class 25 trademark rights which is apparel clothing apparel rights on the term coots unlimited oh. so i got a cease and desist letter in the mail i had to nix that one and we were trying to figure out like we need to do something else with coots you know like coots are just they're funny so cody was like man like let's just do another coot shirt i was like all right man well if we're gonna do this like we just need to go crazy with it we'll put a coot on top of a bunch of bush light cans uh, and he was like, yeah, yeah, dude, that's legit. Let's give him a gold chain and some gold leg bands. I was like, all right, man, like, let's go put an American flag in the background and call it a day. And, 
Kudikis was born. And um, from that point on, that was November of 20, November of 2020. Um, from that point on, man, it's been full speed. Uh, you know, the brand is, has developed and kind of solidified that niche of personifying waterfowl into doing human things and taking a more lighthearted approach on it. Um, which, which is who we are as people. Um, I think, you know, you can go through and, and, you know, Todd, you and I've talked about this offline a little bit, but, you know, you can go through and you can look at the waterfowl community as it sits right now. And you have a huge divide. Okay. You have people, the old school folks, we'll call them old school folks. Um, those folks are, are, are pretty apprehensive towards new hunters coming into the sport. And they don't like the way that they wear their hat or they don't like the way, you know, their, their truck is squatted or whatever it is, man. They, they complain about all these things that the new kids are doing or these young kids are doing. And then you have these young kids who some of them do I think that are probably doing it for social media clout or likes or, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, probably. But there's some of them that are just trying to learn, right? Right. Right. And so there's this like huge ebb and flow. And our goal and my company's goal is to set all of that aside and try to have fun with it, man. Waterfowl hunting, hunting the outdoors should be about providing. It should be about brotherhood, camaraderie, fun, bringing all those things together and trying to take things away from being so daggone serious all the time. No, you and I did have a conversation about that, and it's uh, you're you're 100 correct, you know. And I I have to admit I've been guilty of you know throwing the judgment the judgment card out a little too early on on once in a while, but at the same time, <clears throat> I agree with you 100 because I think that if we're not you know if we're not opening up and welcoming people into this it's you know what's what's the point what's the future of it it'll die i think the most dangerous thing (laughs) is getting to a place where you shut people out yeah like you said you know opening and bringing people in and, and and all that is important but when you get to a place where you have a chip on your shoulder somebody you know i it's it's funny that this is timed the way it is i got a call from the state of rhode island the other day um, and I've, and I've hunted there. I had a representative from their fish and wildlife department call me and ask me if I had a few minutes for a phone survey. I said, yeah, absolutely. Anytime a conservation organization is trying to better their state, take the opportunity to do that. You know? So as I'm going through this, you know, the first three questions were asking me about, you know, how I got into hunting. And I can almost bet that every the overwhelming majority of outdoorsmen that are out there right now and outdoors women that are out there right now are where they are because someone helped them get there. Yeah. You know, so if you have, you know, you're living in a day and age where hunting is, you know, becoming more taboo and is going away. And so these kids' parents might not have been there to do that. It's on us. It's our responsibility as outdoorsmen now to be better. Right. Yep. You know, if you see some kid doing something dumb, pull them aside and be like, hey, listen, man, you know, I'm not sitting here trying to tell you what to do by any means necessary, but 
you might be more successful if you took this approach Mm -hmm. or, you know, I don't know how long you've been waterfowl hunting. Have you been, have you been hunting long, you know, and give him the opportunity to say, no, man, I'm, I'm new to this. Give him a let, allow that person to open that door and then be like, Hey, listen, man, you know, a lot of times it's kind of, it's not good etiquette to really set up this close to somebody, you know, it's, it's dangerous. You know, I don't, I don't want my pellets to hit you. I don't want your pellets, pellets to hit me. You know, if we, if we came together, and maybe hunted this spot together, I think we both have a more successful hunt and maybe take that opportunity instead of shining lights and, you know, yelling cuss words at people and, and trying to be better because at the end of the day, we have a lot more eyes on us, right? You have the local community, um, you have the world, you have a whole organization devoted to trying to take what we love doing away from us. Right. And the more ammunition we give them, the worse off we are. Yeah. Your, your name your company name combat waterfall is applicable in a lot of different ways, you know, whether you call it, you know, whether it's, it's, uh, you know, the patch, the combat patch, or, you know, you're looking at it like that, but it's, you know, there's areas in waterfowl around the country that are, it's combat hunting, it's combat waterfowl, you know, you get to the boat yeah. launch and it's, it's like a battle to get your boat in or get to your spot, you know, not to mention, we're trying to fight the good fight to maintain what we have or yeah. increase it, you know, in, increase it and make it better, make it broader. Yeah. I would, I would bet you're spot on about the whole help thing. I know, I know that, I mean, I was lucky enough to have been brought into the hunting world and do what I do because of it was passed down from my dad and his friends. And I had the old guard, you know, that was teeth that taught us how to do it. Um, but there were individuals along the way that I wasn't, I didn't have any connection to necessarily that, you know, would offer a piece of advice here or, you know, you'd run, you'd bump into them even at, even at like a, a trade show. You know, I remember meeting uh, Phil Robertson at Ducks, Un- at a Ducks Unlimited show and bought a hat and he signed it. You know, it was literally a, such a short brief period and this was back before duck dynasty way before duck dynasty when it was just duck commander right and with the old dvds you know and uh man he left such an indelible mark on me that's like i want to be that guy i, I want to be like that you know i want to hunt like he hunts and you, know, you dive into those things but the point the point that i'm getting at with that is it he had an attractive persona, yeah. you know, and if we're, if we're not attracting others of like mind, we're dooming the future of our, of our pastime, you know, of what, of, our, of what we love. Absolutely. So yeah, the whole combat waterfall thing. I, I love it, dude. I, I, there's so many ways you could do spins on that. What's been your, I'll, I'll give ahead. you another spin on it. I'll give you another spin. So, um, you know, in the apparel industry or or really guess in the outdoor industry, it's pretty industry standard. Um, everybody talks about pro staff, right? Um, you know, I hate that word with a burning passion. I hate the word pro staff. Uh, and, and more or less because I feel like to so many people becoming pro staff means that, you know, you're somehow better than someone else or whatever. So we don't call them that. Um, they're gunners, right? And, you know, like another way to kind of tie in that combat thing, you know, 
Gunner, the Gunner is the guy who's in a at least a mounted infantry scenario. He's the guy who's really commanding that truck. You know, he's the one who's kind of um, helping run that vehicle, and and he's the one that's you know got the, got all the important tools and all the important equipment to go out there and, and conquer the battlefield, right? Um, and that's kind of the way that the way that Gunners, to me, or or pro staff or whatever, that's that's how they should be, right? They're they're the front lines of your brand you know that's that's somebody's gonna bump into you um wearing you know let's say todd's wearing a combat waterfowl hat and he's standing behind the 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 booth at a trade show right you're the first person that someone's gonna see representing this brand whether that's um whether that's their only impression that they ever get whether they've heard of combat waterfowl and they just they they saw the icon and they were like oh man that's that's combat waterfowl i'm gonna go up and talk to that guy you know, being a gunner is about being the face of face of a company, right? Or the face of um, of a movement, really. It's not what we have to me, Todd, is not really a, a company. It is. Um, it's my full-time job. It's what pays my bills. Um, however, it's so much more than that. You know, um, our gunners are family. They link up. They do trips all over the country with each other, um, you know, and, and do things like that. And so, tying that back into the, that combat element, those gunners, man, they're the front lines out there doing it day to day. And, um, you know, I, and I think that that's so important for a business. Um, obviously it's from a marketing standpoint and, and for all other purposes, but in the urge to be different as we do in every single thing we do, um, tying that into something that means more than just a title on your Facebook profile, if that makes sense. I love it. I love it. The you know the whole the whole idea of pro staff, it's it's gotten worn out. You know, it, it used to be you had earned that man, and yeah. it was and it was like if you got on with a company and got some free gear or discount or you know you were helping rep that brand, that was a big deal. You know, and now it's it seems like unfortunately some brands just throw it around and like you know, yeah, throw it up on social media, you know, whatever. And it's more, it doesn't have the weight to it that it used to. And yeah. I, I like that you, you tied it back in again to something from your experience and your past and your life that that makes sense, man. I, I, I like that term. I'm a gunner. It's, it's different, man. Um, and, and, you know, like they're so hardcore, like we, I have the absolute best group of folks, men and women that are just, there you know like whatever you and it's not just about like one of our guys he's in arkansas right his kid is in baseball um and you know he was trying to raise a little bit of money for his baseball team um son's on travel ball um his wife is a teacher he um he is in the um industrial uh, repair industry for like heavy equipment and stuff like that um you know it's not like they're they're incredibly well off or anything right you know, he made a he made a post. Um, he made a post in, in our gunners page about, you know, actually he was too he was too humble to do it. Another gunner that knew of what was going on made a post about it, and we rallied together and 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 helped him out. You know, like it's not it's not one person, it's not one thing that makes it happen. You know, um, all these pieces kind of move together and and make this brand something that that stands for something else it's not you know it's it's a it's so much more than a t-shirt or a hat and i and i really you know i try to project those um those vibes i guess through you know our our tiktoks or 
um, our Instagram or, or whatever. But really, you know, when you talk to one of us, man, like that's what I want to happen. You know, I want somebody, if somebody comes up to any gunner that we have and says, Hey man, what, what is this? What is it? What is this? Yeah. You know, I don't want it to just be a talk about a hat, you know, it, it should be a, a talk about what we're talking about right now. It's, it's not just right. a, it's not a brand, man. It's a lifestyle. There you go. <clears throat> there you go. I like and, it. I like it. Yeah. And, and I think, <clears throat> I think your perspective on that is spot on because for so many, uh, for so many people, we, we may only hunt a handful of times a year, but I would bet you money that, the people that are listening to this podcast are thinking about hunting, you know, 365, you know, it's, it's never very far away from my mind, you know, right. whether it, and, that, and that's not just waterfowl that's across the board. You know, you think about all different kinds of hunting, the Wyoming draw results just came out yesterday and that's all anybody could talk about. You know, it's like, that's what'd you get? What'd you draw? Did you draw anything? We're, oh, I, got cool. a, I got a pissed off army buddy that's up there. It got, didn't get drawn for moose and he was up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it's, it's always at the forefront of our minds. You know, I, I feel like, you know, I grew up, I grew up deer hunting. Um, and then once, once I started duck, I didn't duck, nobody in my family duck hunting. So I didn't well, start. Tell, us, tell, tell, remind us where you're located. So people are can, like geographically, they can put a, a spot on the map in their brain. So I grew up, I, I apologize, Ty. I grew up That's in right. central North Carolina. Um, and, you know, I've lived down, I live on the coast now. Um, and I've lived down here for the last few years. And I don't ever plan on leaving this place. Um, but, you know, geographically, as it pertains to waterfowl, you know, we have a lot to offer. Our state has a lot to offer in hunting in general. To waterfowl, um, you know, predominantly is going to be wood ducks uh, okay. in the majority of the state. Um, down at the coast, you'll get into some divers, some, some buffalo head, some bluebill. Um, we have a really large population of redheads that are centrally located in the core sound kind of midway up the state. Yep. Um, and they kind of get there and stay there. We have a decent population of common and surf scoters. Um, and then, you know, our state is inundated with impoundments that'll hold the majority of your puddle ducks, your good puddle ducks, I guess, so to speak, your mallards, um, your teal, your widgeon, your gadwall, a lot of those you'll find in private impoundments. Um, pintails are kind of a, a, a prized possession in North Carolina. They, you know, if you want to kill a pintail, you're either going to go to an impoundment or you're going to go to um, the outer banks and do one of the coolest hunts that you could possibly do. It's called a, uh, it's called a curtain blind hunt. Hmm. Uh, it's it's unique to this area um basically it's a sink box but the reason that they're they're kind of grandfathered in that area that you're able to move the the curtain up and down depending on the tide um and it's it's a it's a very unique hunting experience um it's if you ever get the opportunity to do it todd 100 should do it it sounds incredible it get, what can you tell me more have you done it yeah so you're on the so you're in a box but think like a pit blind okay, okay. but it's much smaller um and you're you're it's buried in the sand okay you're hunting tidal shallow water uh, like to the point where they use pallets they use pallets and put decoys on top of pallets and set them out um in front of the blind i mean it's like the the birds are in your face um and it's it's such a cool 
experience, man. Like you, it's, I can't, I can't even, I can't even begin to like, uh, try to paint the picture. Sure. Sure. You're it's basically like a stand up. It's basically like a stand up pit line in a tidal area. So, you know, you kind of got to, the curtain's going to move up and down depending on, you know, where you're at with the tide and you got to, you know, jump out of the box and shoot over it, you know, and there's, there's times that, you know, like a white water will come crashing in that thing. Or, um, I saw a couple of years ago, one of them turned over. Oh yeah. Uh, but man, it's, it's such a unique thing. Um, that it's, it's one of those things if you ever get an opportunity to do it, you got to do it. Yeah, no, that's, that's one of the coolest things about this podcast is I've gotten to talk to so many people from around the country and there's different tactics every single where every single place you talk about, you know, whether, yeah, like you said earlier, there's all these different ways to hunt, excuse me, all these different ways to hunt waterfowl. That's like, everybody's got a different way of doing it and it all works in that, in that area, you know, and talking to these people, you might be able to, modify the technique and use it in your neck of the woods you know you just don't know but that's yeah. cool i'm gonna look more into that because it sounds interesting and if i do get a chance to get down there i have a buddy that's um just outside of atlanta and he's but he's busted my chops all the time about coming down and fishing and hunting and doing all these things and it's just like dude it's a long way from wyoming <laughs> yeah it's definitely a haul yeah yeah, it, it was more doable a year ago. That's for sure. It's a little tougher now, but uh, anyway, well, that is super cool. That's so you've got all kinds of different birds. I hear you on the pintail thing. It's the same here. You know, we have them you shoot them in cornfields or you shoot them on, you know, on bodies of water, but they're, they're not common by any stretch. You know, they're, they're around, but they're not, uh, I wouldn't say that, that you kill them all the time. You see them quite often, but getting them killed and seeing yeah. those two different things i like the circle a few times i mean <clears throat> all in all man north carolina is a decent state to waterfall hunt it's sure. not a great state um it's not it's not to me what north carolina has to offer is heritage uh and different ways to hunt um and just a different a different experience um you know down here it's they're you kind of they're watermen right so like especially at the coast that's kind of where that comes from um, you know, these boys are out here, you know, they might be pulling up oysters, you know, they might be doing, you know, running commercial fishing, um, and, you know, then duck hunting in the duck hunting in the, in that season. And, you know, it's, it's something to do on the water all year. Right. right, right. Um, but I, I be honest, Todd, anymore, I spend the majority of my time hunting outside of the state of North Carolina. Okay. Um, I travel, I travel pretty much exclusively now. Um, and it's for a couple of reasons, man. Um, mainly is the business, um, at this point, uh, you know, a few years ago, it was chasing down the 41 series, the 41 species, you know, I knocked that out and I think it was 2018. I finished that. Um, and then now it's, it's content oriented and it's like also me trying to do something different, you know, right, and, and right. Hunt a new state or hunt a new area or go visit a gunner and, and hunt with them and, and visit with them and their family in their area. Um, and so anymore, that's, it seems like that's mostly what I do is, is kind of hunting out of state. Cool. What, what are some of the places you were last year? 
where did I go last year? Uh, I went to Arkansas for sure. Um, I went to North Dakota. I'm trying to remember where else I went, man. Um, I don't, I don't know where else I went last year. <laughs> I know where I'm supposed to go this year. Yeah, where? Uh, oh, I went to Southeast Texas last year too. Oh, cool. uh, I'll be going to this year. I'll be in New York, uh, in Texas for early goose and teal. I'll be in Canada, uh, North Dakota in October, um, then Arkansas in November, Oklahoma in January. Um, I don't think I, I don't think I'm going anywhere in December. Uh, think I'm going to kick it at the house. There you go. Yeah, man, it's um, it's, it's a lot of a lot of traveling, but a lot of fun. And you know, um, I got got this dog now, and you know, uh, I'm trying to trying to experience all of that with, with him so how long have you had your dog he is over he'd be what three years old he's three a little over three he turned three okay. in march okay um but man he's right in his prime yeah well yeah i mean he's still coming into it this weekend we're supposed to go chase a uh chase a master pass in ohio there you go so we're we're so close to a master title it's ridiculous um, <coughs> trying to get that done and um it's been a it's been a different experience man um you know I was always that guy that I've got two older labs um that I train myself and you know by I train myself I mean they'll go get the duck and they'll come back yeah uh, that's that's about the extent of it um and frankly man I never really realized or I guess I never really paid any attention or paid it or given any thought that you know I needed anything else besides that uh then i hunted with i hunted with a dog that was just nuts i mean the the intuition and the connection that you know that owner had with that dog um and the sheer raw ability of that dog to be able to you know trust that you know when you're given that cast that that there's a bird over there and i don't care what obstacles are in the way i'm going through it over it under it I'm getting that duck and I'm going to bring it back. Um, and so to me, you know, it, not having to carry a pocket full of rocks or waste old shells uh, <laughs> sounded pretty cool. So um, I went that route and with this dog and, and I've always, I've always kind of kicked myself for not putting, I've been, Ember is my red lab and she's a, She's an American lab, but she come from a lot of field trial background and stuff like that. And her drive, I mean, she's 10 years old and she's still got it, man. Yeah. And I've always kicked myself for not putting her through that and allowing her to go through and, and get titled and, and all that stuff. So I, I kind of made a promise to myself I'd never do that with another dog. If, if that dog had it, then I was going to let him get it. Yeah. Uh, so I, uh, So that's what we're doing. We're going for it. That's super cool, man. That's a, you're so right about taking your dog to the highest level possible, you know, and whether it's, you know, master hunter or you're running different field trials or, you know, whatever hunt test series, we've talked about it a little bit on the podcast in the past and the guys that that's that's their thing you know they're they're into it and i should say guys there's a lot of gals that are doing it too and i would say it's almost 
is probably 60 40 men women really it's, yeah it's crazy yeah it's just being able to take a dog to that level and have the connection like you said that connection with that dog it takes it brings your it brings having a dog takes having a dog to a whole new level you know it's not just a pet anymore it's not just oh it's my duck dog no this is there's a massive connection there when you train dogs to that level there's it's super cool they're a high performance hunting tool yes they are and i was i was that guy that always like downplayed or talked down to like you know early in my waterfowl career i was like man i'm never gonna go just waste my weekend sitting at a sitting at a hunt test like this is stupid like there's so many other things that i could do with my time um and you know like you know my my dog could do that or or whatever uh and there's a lot of people like that out there but to those people there's a big difference in you throwing a bumper in your backyard and the dog going and getting it and picking it up and then going to a place that the dog's never been before around 200 other dogs and 200 other people with all this pressure and you know all this excitement and dogs barking and running around and doing all this stuff and your dog being able to perform at the peak level um through all of that and those those dogs aren't the same i mean they might be able to do the same work in training maybe but those dogs are not the same dogs no and i've gotten a newfound appreciation in the last few years of of that process and of those organizations, man. I mean, the AKC, the UKC, the Super Retriever Series, um, they're they're trying to preserve a pastime the same way that we are. Yep. You know, yep. and there's there's a lot of respect to be had for somebody who's just trying to trying to keep something going, you know, and it gives people an outlet, you know, like we talked about <clears throat> hunting for for you and I as a passion. It's a year-round thing. I don't, it's I it, I've never not thinking about it you know, reading about it, consuming content related to it. It's just one more outlet for that. And it's a very productive outlet because you're, if you're doing it, you know, right. It's, you're involved with a group, you're involved with a community, you're, you know, you're working with your dog to to take it to that highest possible level. You know, we, we have, it is so difficult to do that out here. I have the the closest group that I know of, and if somebody's listening to this and I'm and I'm wrong, please message me, email me, uh, get a hold of me on social media and tell me. Um, but it's to my knowledge, the closest um, hunt club or retriever club to me is like three hours away. You know, I'm looking like Casper, Wyoming, or um, I don't think we have anything in Billings. Um, I know Chad Carmen is up in uh, Montana and he's got some stuff going on, but it can be difficult in certain areas of the country that, because you, you're going to have to travel, you're going to have to, to make that commitment if it's something you want to do and you're going to have to put $5 gasoline in your car and go do it. You know, there's other options too, though, Todd, yeah. and just being just you know, providing other options for maybe some listeners who are in some of these remote remote areas or whatever. But, you know, there's a lot of good pro trainers out there that'll sell started dogs or sell finished dogs. Um, And it'll kind of take, 
you know, if you're one of those people that like have to raise a puppy, then obviously that's not going to work for you. But, right, right. Um, you know, there are, there are people out there that, that'll, you know, tons of pro, at least in this area, they sell, they sell those dogs all the time. Um, you know, for people in that situation, they don't, maybe they run a guide service or maybe they, um, you know, they just don't have the the time or, or whatever to wait for the dog to be trained or, right. um, they don't have the time to do it themselves or whatever. And quite frankly, you're all, you're going to come out cheaper buying a finished dog from a pro trainer than you will buying a puppy and putting it through training and paying for the entry fees to get it there. I can 1000% promise you that <laughs> you're paying, yeah. you're paying 500 to a thousand dollars a month, depending on what trainer you select. Right. Um, you know, right. in this area, the industry standards plus minus seven, seven fifty eight somewhere in there. Um, you're paying that a month, man. That's a, that's almost a mortgage payment. I would say it was a mortgage payment 10 years ago. Maybe it was right. Right. Now that's like one trip to Walmart. Um, but you know, you're paying that every single month and September will be three years that Kai's been in training. Okay. You know, um, and you know, I have a great relationship with, with my trainer. Um, and, you know, we, we have something, we have something worked out, you know, he's got kids that are in softball and all this other stuff. So he's with another good friend of mine right now. Um, this hopefully should be his last month. Um, but I make it a point to, to go to his hunt test and, and handle him in his hunt test and run his hunt test and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, be a part of, be a part of training him when he's here. And, um, you know, it's, there's, there's options for every situation. Um, so, uh, I definitely would rather see somebody reach out to a pro trainer than, you know, um, pick up water dog and think that's all there is to <laughs> dog to that level. You know, um, I know I hear you. I, I laugh because that's that book is that book has helped a lot of people put ducks in the freezer over the years. You know, I that's what I started with. I did. There was nothing. Me too. There wasn't anything else. I got two dogs that I trained off of that book and yeah. there's, there's nothing wrong at all with that information. No. There's no, but it's but it's up. It's been updated. You know, we know yeah. more. We know more about dogs than we did back then. We have better tools now. You know, I'm working with training Hondo, my puppy, right now, and he's he's not a puppy puppy anymore. But we're about a year in, and I I kind of pressed pause for a while on training where we stuck with the, at the same step because of winter of the weather was impossible to deal with. There was time involved and now we're moving forward, you know, to the point. And I, he's a Southern Oak Kennels dog. And, you know, I, I went that route and very, very happy with that. And so I'm using the Cornerstone gun dog Academy 52 plus to train him. And some of it is very elementary. It's very much for that first time, you know, dog owner that I breeze, we breeze through pretty quickly and others, others you know, we're starting to drill down into, you know, casting and hand signals and things like that. Now, where we're going beyond just throwing a bumper, running out and getting it, you know, we're doing a lot of that still. Cause it's fun. He loves going yeah. to get bumpers, you know, but there's more to it where we're working, where we're drilling down and, and getting into building that finished gun dog. So, so where are you at right now? Are you on the T drill? Or are you on pattern blinds? Where are you at? We just started. Um, we just, I just started lines 
like taking us taking a line to a blind mark okay <clears throat> we're building you know we're building from there with that um i wanted him to be steady as a freaking rock and so we we drilled down and it's like whistle fits you know stops all that handling stuff i wanted him to have that solid and he's still not 100 solid on it but he's pretty good yeah. you know and it's like we're, we're working on it we're, we're we're going we're getting there but it's a process you know and it's some days you'll take him out and he'll crush it and you're like yeah and then the next time you take him out he's an absolute tool you know and it's like what are you doing dude? we got this but it's just like people we all have bad days and our good days you know man i'm gonna i'm gonna i might hurt your feelings a little bit with this but i'm gonna tell you a story so the first test that i went and ran with kai um my trainer went with me and i was like man can you you know can you you come on or no maybe he didn't go with me that one he went to the second one i think that's what it was anyway the first one i ran with him we failed like we failed that we failed the hell out of master test like it was bad it was atrocious um and dude i remember being up there on the line and dude like i can't explain to you if you've never done it before uh for your like your listeners but the adrenaline that you get at the line, like when you're getting ready and, you know, everything's going off and, you know, you're watching the dog, you're watching the birds, trying to figure out where they're landing. And, um, you know, the adrenaline that you get is, is crazy. It, it, you would not think in a million years that it would give you that sense of, or that feeling, but it does. Um, and I remember when he, when he went and did what he did i had to i had to I, I failed and i knew right there i failed he went over the hill and he started he established the hunt and then he abandoned the area and went you know hunting in another area right and i was so mad at that dog <laughs> i was so mad like i remember just like like when he was when i was whistling him back in and i was like god get in here here you know like just just upset and when he got back, you know, I, I walked off the line, you know, thank the judges, appreciate your time. Judges walked off the line. I threw that lead over, over his head and I gra grabbed that lead up and we started walking to the truck with a purpose, you know, yep. um, and I put him in the back of the truck and, you know, I put him in his kennel in the back of the truck and, uh, and he looked at me and I grabbed the lead off and I took it off and I said, why did you do that? You know, and a guy pulled me to the side that I, that I knew. Um, and he was like, man, your dog didn't fail that test. You failed that test. And I was like, at the time, I did not want to hear that. I was like, what are you talking about, man? Like, you know, he's like, well, when the dog, as soon as you saw the dog about to leave the area, you should have handled that. Mm -hmm. He's probably caught the scent from the other blind or the other mark over there. Right. And right. All he knows to do is go out, get a duck and come back. Like right. that's what, and if he smells a duck, he's going to go find that duck. If you don't want him to go get that one, then you need to blow your whistle and handle him. Like, why didn't you use your handle? You had a handle. And it just hit me. I was like, man, I say all that to say, I feel like more times than not, we fail our dogs. Uh-huh. You know, I can tell you, I can tell you Kai has failed one test. I have failed every other one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, there's almost invariably that's the case. You know, I talk about 
days that are good days and days that are bad days. And if I'm usually not on my best when we're right. not at, when we're not having a good day, you know, if you think about it, look at it, maybe my, my temper's short, you know, maybe I'm distracted thinking about something else and my heart's not in what we're doing or I mean, whatever it might be. Yeah. It's, it's usually us. You're, you're hundred percent right. Think about all, think about the bad days you've had in on a hunt where maybe you ratchet the pressure up on yourself to the point where you're a jerk out there, you know, yeah. and you're a jerk to your dog, you're a jerk to your buddies or whatever it might be. Those, and you look back and go, okay. If you're self-reflective at all, you can look back and point the finger where it needs to be pointed. <laughs> yeah. It's usually not in the moment though. Right. Right. Usually, no, 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 no. Like way on down the way. Yes. But, um, but yeah, man, I, I'm right there with you. I feel like a lot of times we're our own worst enemy. Um, and, you know, we get ourselves into situations that, you know, in the moment we don't necessarily accept the responsibility that we should. And I, I'm speaking to myself about myself <laughs> when it comes to that. Um, you know, and it, it could be something as simple as, you know, um, getting, getting mad. Like if you scouted an area, especially here, you know, like things are tidal. Um, the food is moving. So you yep. hunt diamonds and sea ducks. I mean, you could go out the day before and you can watch sea ducks trade back and forth on their lines and where they need to be. And, you know, to me personally, I don't, if I'm going to go hunt divers and sea ducks, I don't need to be set up before light. Right. Um, and I learned that hunting the great lakes. You can set up, you can set up before light all you want. And most people, like you go to a boat ramp down here in North Carolina at three o'clock in the morning, you're going to have 15 yeah. people in the boat ramp, you know? Right. Right. If you're, if you're hunting puddle ducks, maybe you got to get to a spot where you're going to go then Okay. Got it. Um, divers and sea ducks, man, you need to go out there and watch where they're flying back and forth and position yourself in between them. So I remember getting mad one day about, you know, I'd gone out, you know, just like every other, you know, newer waterfowl hunter. And I was out there at the crack of dawn, you know, I was already, you know, set up eating little Debbie's and drinking Mountain Dew and Monster, um, you know, well before the sun was up and, you know, get out there and, you know, I'm, I'm hearing, you know, an hour, 30 minutes, hour after sunlight, everybody's shooting and I'm not. And I was like, man, I saw birds here. I saw birds here. And it's just like one of those things that you learn. And I wouldn't have learned that had I not experienced it. Right. And, you know, I remember just being so mad and overwhelmed and, you know, upset that I'm coming back. I've driven at this point, you know, I still lived in the central part of the state. So I drove two and a half hours, you know, from home to come down here to hunt, you know, done my scouting. I did my part and it just wasn't good enough. Right. Right. And at the end of the day, like you always learn something from those mistakes or you know those setups if you did a setup in a particular way and the birds react in a certain type of way you know like you're going to remember that stuff you know uh i know it's for sure stuck with me uh, yeah it's and it's not just like you said it's it goes back to that regional thing about what we do yeah <clears throat> every it's different everywhere you know I, i've always been the guy that's out there like you said, way before shooting light, set up, ready to go, you know, sleep in your boat kind of thing, whatever. And 
a lot of times out, especially out West, it's, you know, we're hunting, we're hunting situations, scenarios where we're hunting late season. You're, you're looking at December, January, and sometimes into February and it's cold out here. I mean, it'll be, it'll be 15, 20 degrees below zero, you know, and you're hunting these, these, the only reason water, there's any birds around is because there's fast water forms you know or springs to get into but the point i'm trying to that i'm that i'm driving at is i don't know how many times i'd go out on those super cold days and i'd be out there early and nothing happens nothing flies maybe right at daylight a few birds trade around but it's like man i know there's thousands of birds in this area and i'm not seeing them what is the deal and then so you get frustrated you get cold and you go home Okay. So I had an old guy that I, that I started hunting with and he really changed the game for me. Cause I remember first time we went hunting together. I said, what time do you want me to come to your house? He's like, ah, <clears throat> come on about nine o'clock. I'm like, what? Nine o'clock, dude, there's no way. All right. Your hunt, your spot, you know, we went out, I went there at nine o'clock. His wife had breakfast ready, biscuits and gravy. You know, we had nice. a good time. Yeah. And then we went out, leisurely set up decoys, and about noon, the birds just exploded. There were birds everywhere, flying around, landing the decoys. And I'm thinking, huh. And I said, man, I have to admit that I was, I thought you were nuts nine o'clock in the morning, you know, to hunt ducks. And he's like, they don't even fly when it's this cold. They don't fly when it's that early very well. And he's like, honestly, I'd rather hunt them during the middle of the day anyway when the, when the weather's a little bit warm. It's easier on me. It's easier on my dog. So the birds fly better. And I've seen it so many times just like that out here. You know, whether yeah. it's geese on a, on a feed someplace or ducks on the river, some of that midday stuff can be phenomenal. But if you go and you scout it and you're like, all right, I'm going to be there right at daylight. That might not be the best option, right? Uh, having to change that, that, uh, mindset has been imperative to finding success. I've seen that too, uh, in the, in the Midwest, like North Dakota, then, you know, like you'll go and obviously you're going to hunt in the morning in your mind. you like, right, right. Naturally you're going to hunt in the morning. So <laughs> in the afternoon, like you're scouting for the next day. Right. And then, you know, you're out there in the afternoon, you're seeing all these birds, you go back in the morning, there ain't nothing there. And you're like, what, you know? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I've, I've definitely seen midday and afternoon feeds um, in adverse environments too. I mean, uh, I 100% noticed it. I was stationed in Alaska for five years. Okay. Um, and you where, know, were, where were you stationed? Uh, Fort Wainwright. Okay. In Fairbanks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, up there, waterfowl season comes and goes all in about two weeks. Yep. Um, you know, September, September 1st, it opens and by, you know, the middle to the end of the month, I mean, it's, it's usually snowing and getting frozen and there with that, excuse me, when that happens yeah. there, um, they're already migrating down, you know, cause in the same thing, you know, like there's, there's nothing that's going to keep water open up there really. I mean, there's, yeah. it doesn't, doesn't really happen like that where you're at, you know, that's cool that you have springs. Um, so you'll hold birds off season yep 
they're hard to they're hard to find you know but you skew we get the little warm water warm water sloughs and warm water ditches and little hot ponds you know and you see them you know you see see them on youtube and stuff and and we've we've hunted a couple of them uh, most of the hunting that we do here is on the river you know the big big western rivers that don't freeze you know yeah. they they'll freeze but it's got to get really really cold and if it's that if it's like that most of the time our birds move to someplace that's a little easier anyway. We see right. a lot of movement back and forth in in the area, in our geographic area. Our birds will move around over the course of a season. The same big wad of birds will move, you know, 200 miles, you know, back and forth. You know, if it gets really cold up here, starts to freeze up, they'll move down into some of those geothermal areas, you know, or... If, if the weather warms up a little bit, we'll lose some, we'll leak some back up into Montana, you know, and they shift back and forth and you can have some phenomenally epic days. If you just watch the weather that time of year and go, okay, I'm going to get on that migration path and we're going to run traffic all day long when the weather and that weather hits, there'll be birds up and flying. And it's, I don't know, we've had some incredible hunts just doing that where we didn't even have a feed. We just got on the migration trail and or trail got on the migration route and on a crappy day and just set up a ton of decoys and ran traffic all day and that's that's interesting so you know i never i've never heard of hunting traffic until i left and that's a, that's a you know until i left this area you know like right. when i got out there you know that's you don't you don't really run you don't really run traffic on birds here mm -hmm. like i mean you kind of do, I guess, you know, with divers, you know, they, right, right. they wad up, you know, and they get in a raft over here and then the, another raft over here forms, but they're flying this high off the water and they're going from this raft to this raft. So you don't, in my mind, I don't think of it like traffic, but you know, you watch some, some other hunters out there and some guide services out there in the Midwest and, you know, out towards where you're at, man, they, they don't, they won't have any food in the field. Some of them, they'll just set up, you know, a hundred dozen decoys lay in the middle of them and just absolutely flat wear them out. Yep. You know, and I, I think it's a, I think it's pretty awesome. And at the end of the day, man, I mean, that's, that's really what it's about. Um, you know, your goal as a waterfowl hunter, it should be to, to fool the bird. Right. And you know, <clears throat> it comes up often. People talk crap about people water swatting birds at the end of the day, you know, not saying that like, that's my preferred method or anything. It's not it's actually harder to kill a water swatted bird, but if the bird will land, you won. Exactly. The hunter exactly. won. Winning is not getting a duck within 30 yards of your spread and it keep flying away. That's not winning. You know, that something about your spread, something about you, something you did wasn't right. Right. But if you have birds that are consistently landing in your spread and your decoys, your hide's good, you know, your setup is good. You're in a, maybe in a, an area where there is food available. Um, whatever it is, you did it right. To me, that's winning. When you can set birds down in your decoys, you win. Yep. No, I, I agree with you. I agree with you hundred percent, you know, and we, obviously with the YouTube channel and the different videos and stuff, it's, it doesn't, you don't kill them all that way, but man, no. you sure, you sure try to. <laughs> yeah. you sure try to it's like nope 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 let them work let them work let them work and 
Yeah, it's and and the camera is terrible because it makes even birds in the decoys look like they're a hundred yards away. You know, oh, and it's man. like yeah, you're and you go back and look at footage that you had an epic day and you didn't shoot a bird past thirty yards. You know, yeah, and you look at it and it looks like they're all you know. 50 60 yards out there in your sky bus and i mean it's like oh my gosh no that's not how that's not what we do i'm gonna tell you something else in the midwest that that i found when i hunted there um that i found myself doing is just you know after you limit out or after you get done hunting just watching yes i never i never did that ever until i hunted the midwest and um you know we were freelancing and you know everybody shot a limit and you know we just just watched the birds for a little bit you know yep. and it was just it was something cool to like hey like you're not gonna shoot you're you know you don't you're not gonna pull the trigger you're just gonna sit there and you're just gonna watch these birds work and it's it's just i don't know man it's uh you'll learn a lot about birds and how you know what they're what they're looking for how they how they react by just watching birds decoy to a spread you know and yeah. There's a couple spots that we have um, that tend to hold quite a few birds, but you're really close. If you're hunting them on the river, you're hunting really close within probably a quarter to a half mile of their roost. And so it's like, if, if, I, if you leave that roost alone, obviously it builds and builds and builds and builds. And by the end of the season, you've got a, a good number of birds around. But if you don't, and you're down there just banging away like crazy days and days on end pretty soon you don't have any birds left right i don't know how many times that i've sat and watched birds after the limit not necessarily just to sit and watch but because it was the right strategy to preserve my spot i was just sitting there letting the birds do their thing and it's like just sit here and drink coffee for an hour eat some more donuts or you know Let's just sit and have a BS session. We got our birds. We've had a good time. Let's let these other birds fly around, do their thing. And when they quit flying, we'll get out, pick up the decoys and get out of here. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense too, man. Just trying to just trying to preserve for the next time, the next hunt. It's uh, not keep going in there and kicking them out. Well, it's not just the shooting. You know, it's, it's you know, you're, you're picking up decoys. You're walking around. You know, birds are coming, flying up the river. And they see that spot where you know, it's just pressure. When you add, the more pressure you add to those birds, the less likely they're going to be to stay in that spot. And it's just minimizing your your impact and your pressure can really up your odds. You know, You're if, right. if, I mean, big time. You get in, get out, or get in, wait for it to, wait for the chaos to die down, and then get out, you know? Man, I got to ask you something. What are, what are your thoughts on what are your thoughts on ditch jumping? Like, I know it's super big in like Arkansas and right uh, in the Midwest, like ditch jumping snow geese. Yeah. Um, you know, what are, what are your thoughts on, on the conservation season? What are your thoughts on, you know, folks doing that? What's your take on it? Well, I think there's, that's an interesting question, man. Um, I think there's two ways of looking at it. And what I mean by that is there's, are we talking about, you know, jump shooting ducks in duck season no you know or just snow geese because if i'm looking at it as jump shooting ducks there's a lot of places that 
that's your if you're if you're way on kill ducks that's the only option you have yeah you know, there were there were spots there's spots out here in parts of the west that they get they'll get ducks but they're not going to get up and fly around and go feed and then decoy that's not it's not feasible so you jump shoot them yeah. and i've done a ton of that i've over the over the years i don't do it much anymore because i don't have to but when we start talking about it with snow geese and the conservation order <clears throat> I don't have that number of birds here. Um, if we're talking about it as a management tool, great, all for it. I talk about you're you're browsing the internet, right? And you okay. see a guy, you see a guy with, you know, a pile of of 500, 600 snow geese, and you know for a fact that that dude jumped a roost. Got it. Got it. You know, like what is your take on 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 that from a from a waterfowler's perspective, from a personal sportsman perspective, what what is your take on on that that type of hunting when you're talking about those kind of numbers during that season? You know, from a waterfowler's perspective, from a hunter's perspective, I personally wouldn't enjoy it. You know, it'd be like it might be fun to go do once, just to, just to experience that. But after that, that would not be my preferred way. To shoot to hunt those birds because i like to decoy birds you know and i yeah. think i think there's i think there's more to it than more to waterfowling than just killing birds you know right. there there's a way to do it that there's lots of ways to do it and if they're if they're they can all be fun and they can all be used as effective tools we're talking about it as a management perspective as a management tool and and managing numbers of geese I think it's an incredibly effective and legitimate way to do it. You know, but for me, I'm like, eh, have, I, I can do it once, you know, just be like, okay, that was cool. But I want to decoy these things, you know? Well, you know, like my thing is, so I kind of had, I kind of have a similar perspective that you do. My thing, my thing with it though, is, you know, they kind of get a bad rep of, of trespassing. I think. Okay. Okay. Arkansas and stuff like that. But you know, so I was, when we were in Texas, there was a, uh, there was a snow goose feed that was in this, the other, it was in this field and there was some brush that we could kind of like creep behind. And I never jump shot any snow geese in my life. Never done it. Um, I've always wanted to do it just like you, just to say I'd done it one time. And man, I'm going to tell you, that was a cool experience. <laughs> that was a lot of chasing down crippled birds. Crippled birds. Yep. There was yep. a lot of that um and you know that's that's my take on so if you and then too the other thing that i don't like about it is um which this wasn't a problem where we were at because it was exclusively there but in arkansas you know you get you'll get specs Mm -hmm. during conservation Uh, and they're they're mixed in you know yeah and people go out there and you know they'll shoot 500 snow geese and then wind up with specs which are obviously you know illegal at that time exactly Um, yeah but I think that I think that when you're talking about you know hunters' impact on you know waterfowl populations, frankly, I don't think I don't think that you could go out to the same field and, and jump shoot 500 snow geese every single day, and I truthfully don't think that our impact is very substantial when it comes specifically to hunters' harvest numbers. When you're talking about managed hunting seasons you're absolutely right um 
the impact is incredibly low. That's why we manage the way we manage. Right. We have very little impact. You know, obviously we've learned from, you know, the passenger pigeon, for example, that we can shoot out a species. Yeah. If, if we do it with no limits, if we do it with no regulation and we're just completely exploiting a resource, yes, we can have a massive impact on that. Especially in today's society, in today's world where we have such high quality equipment, you know, our, our guns are better, our ammunition's better. It's, and they're talking about shooting passenger pigeons, man. They didn't have the stuff that we did. It was just massive amounts of kill, of killing that did that, you know? And so, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, there's a huge difference between hunting and killing, you know? And I, and I've always said that I say that with turkeys all the time because turkeys, especially out West have a tendency. There's either the guys that like them and they compare them favorably to elk. And there's the guys that aren't really fans of turkeys. I think they're stupid. I think they're easy to hunt, easy to get, whatever. I challenge those people to come out here. Come out. I hate turkeys. I hate them. They're the most frustrating. (laughs) I I cannot stand a dang turkey. I can't, man. I mean, honestly, dude, they're, they're insane, man. It's one of those, it's one of those things though. They get, they get a bad rap out here as being dumb and being easy to kill. And then, but invariably it's somebody that shot them them with, with, with a rifle. You know, they've shot them with a rifle on some ranch someplace. They're like, oh, that's turkey hunting's easy. And it's like, no, you killed that turkey. You didn't hunt that turkey. Right. All you did was pull up with a with a varmint rifle and snipe him from 300 yards away. That's not turkey hunting. That's no, not no. turkey hunting. You know, it's I mean, different. They're just so frustrating here, man. And there's people, man, I there's I've got some good friends of mine that are incredibly talented turkey hunters. They're very, very good at turkey hunting. And they'll, you know, they'll be tagged out, no problem. Me, I don't know what it is, man. I think turkeys hate me. I really, I think, I think they do. I don't think turkeys like me very much because it's like every time I go turkey hunting, something else, they, they gobble on the roost and then they shut up as soon as they hit the ground or, you know, and, and they're so, they're so smart. Like if from, from like a, an animal's perspective, I mean, they have really teeny tiny little eyes, but they can see the slightest bit of movement. Yeah from forever away they're super challenging to hunt i just and that's why i just i i'm a i'm a duck guy you know and that's why i got away from deer hunting dead dead honest with you i hate sitting still i hate being quiet you know and when you're duck hunting you know like you can hang out yeah yeah sit there and smoke and joke with the boys all day and and you know it's not a problem you know the birds oh hey, hey man birds are coming just chill out for a second yeah, be still for, you know, a minute or two while the birds are working. And then, you know, bing, bang, boom, everybody's high-fiving and working dogs and picking up birds. And it's yeah. like this yeah. excitement thing. And you get to do it over and over and over and over again. You know, whereas, you know, you go turkey hunting and you got to sit in, you know, up against this tree or in this blind with all these snakes and ticks and all this other mess and be dead still while mosquitoes, you know, trying to, gouge your eyeballs out and you know you do all this for this bird to walk 50 yards 60 yards away from shooting range and turn around and leave for no apparent reason and it's like now i know it's it's super frustrating you know it's it's funny because 
we had we took guy eastman on a goose hunt his i think maybe his first goose hunt ever a couple of years ago and we got out there and he was he had fun in spite of himself you know because he's a big game guy you know and he's like i don't i now i see why you guys like doing this he's like what's that he's like you guys aren't here aren't, aren't hunting this is a coffee club with shotguns <laughs> Yeah, I was like, yeah, I, guilty, guilty. Who's got more coffee? Who's got the donuts? You know, it's absolutely that, and that's at, especially out here. After you spend an entire fall chasing elk and mule deer and antelope and doing whatever it is you're gonna do, and it's serious. You know, you got one chance a year to get to get those tags done, and you're looking for a certain type of animal, and the it's pretty high pressure. It's it's nice to go and jump in a duck blind or goose blind and just have fun. You know, we all operate on a point system, right? For your big game. Uh, it, it, yeah, it depends. Um, non-residents all is all points based and residents only get points for, um, sheep, moose and mountain goats. Yeah. Let's see, like North Dakota. No, I'm sorry. I take that back. We don't get points for mountain goats. Mountain goats is random. Let's see, like in North Dakota, you can, as a resident, you can only kill one moose in your whole life. Right, right. We're looking at things like that out here. They're, they're, they've restructured, the, the especially the non-resident tag allocation for the big five. The big five being sheep, moose, mountain goat, bison, and grizzly bears, which we, we have a management plan in place. It's just stalled out and we're not allowed to hunt them right now. That's what I was going to say. I didn't know you could, I didn't, well, one, I didn't know you guys had brown bear in Wyoming. Yep. yep. Um, yeah. We're loaded with grizzly bears in certain parts of the state, not the whole thing over where we are. Um, you know, we're, we're about an hour from Yellowstone. It's the, the, the park borders right there. If you want to go screw around with tourists all day, you can. Um, but there, we have tons and tons of grizzly bears, which can make duck hunting interesting because a lot of times those bird those bears will be inhabiting the same river bottoms at the same time of year you're trying to hunt ducks and so when i was in alaska i mean you didn't have to you really didn't have to worry about grizzly bears or brown bears really at all i mean right you've got to really come between a cub and a mother to really cause an issue um but you know like black bears were more elusive you know that up there I feel like they had more issues out of black bears than, than brown bears. But um, what about like, what about wolves? Do y'all have a real bad wolf issue there? We have, yeah, we have more wolves than we definitely need. <laughs> that's, that's for sure. And it's not just Wyoming, you know, it's Montana and Idaho too. And we, we all have management practices. We all have seasons, you know, where you can hunt them. Um, and it, it has helped, but there's definitely places. Wyoming's done a, pretty solid job of, of getting their wolf levels down to socially acceptable levels and you know levels that are not impacting ungulate populations as adversely as they as they did when they first blew up you know we went there were there's drainages here that the wolves have changed entire ways of life you know where you had outfitters and businesses that surround that made a living off of these off of hunting elk on their migration trail, on their migration routes outside of the park. And, you know, back in the day, it was like, yep, let's go get an elk. And now in a lot of these areas, you're lucky to find an elk. 
there's just not, you know, in other areas, the elk do are doing great and they definitely have figured out how to live with those wolves. But if we're being completely honest, they've had a massive impact on those elk populations. What about, massive. so do y'all have, uh, do y'all have like a, a lot of trappers up there? You know, like yeah. when I was in Alaska, we had, I mean, there were, there's trappers of that's what they did. For <coughs> yeah. Yep. They, I have a, I have a friend who's a, who's a USDA government trapper. And okay. that's, that's what he does is predator, is predator management and everything from, yeah, I, I'm not even going to get into it, but it's, there's a, there, we have county, county trappers, we have county predator boards, we have, yeah, I mean, we, we still shoot coyotes out of airplanes and any way you can, because they're, they, they have such an impact on people's livelihoods. And so the wolves and so the grizzly bears, but we've got, we've got the wolf thing figured out. We just need, we just need to be able to control our own destiny with these, with these stinking bears. And we'll be, we'll be, we'll they be better off. They shut hunting down though. What's that? You said they shut hunting down on them? There hasn't been a grizzly season in Wyoming in like, since like the 1970s. So what is the reason for that? Do you think <clears throat> conservationists or anti-hunters? Or... No, it was the, the population was definitely probably below huntable levels at that, you know, it had dipped below that at that time. And then well, just since then, those bears have really made a comeback to the point where there's really, there's really so many of them that they're displacing themselves. They're, it's not healthy for the bears. You know, we end up, we end up all with all kinds of conflict because, you know, I, I commercial fished on Kodiak Island for two years. So oh, I was, yeah, I was around those bears all the time, right? Lived in the bush. I was around them all the time. The bears that we have here are 10 times more aggressive than those Kodiak bears. I never had any trouble with those Kodiak bears. We were around them all the time. Sows, cubs, big boars, didn't matter. Didn't yeah. matter. Had one bear get a little grumpy with me one time, and that was just his personality. He was kind of a jerk, but um, <laughs> a little bit of bear spray and some some aggressive posturing, he and I had came to an understanding, but... Uh, yeah, our bears here are pain in the butt. You know, they're you got people are getting we had a fatality earlier this year. There's been there's usually five, six maulings and a fatality or two every year. Um, and it's it's a bad deal. It's a bad deal for the bears, it's a bad deal for people, but it's crazy. I was saying that time of year, you could easily bump into one you know, on the river bottom going down to hunt ducks, you know? So it's like, my guns aren't cased. <laughs> I don't, you know, I, I get down to the brush and drop one in and, and walk the rest of the way into my blind in, in some of the places. Cause you just never know what you're going to run into. There's guys in Montana that have actually shot bears while they were pheasant hunting. That well, that's what I was going to ask you. What's the legality <laughs> standpoint? You know, from a waterfowl standpoint, you know, you're not allowed to bring any sort of lead. You're not allowed lead on your person right. at all. Right. Um, yet here, you know, and I, what is, what is the, the wildlife stand stance on, you know, a bear gun as a sidearm, obviously, you know, you're not going to take, when I was in Alaska, um, I forget what I had. Um, it was a Ruger Alaskan. Uh, I think it was chambered in 454 Kasul. Yeah. Um, and you know that's i obviously i'm not going to shoot a duck with that um you know do this fishing game for wyoming kind of look the other way a little bit 
we're allowed. Yeah, we're allowed. You could, you could carry a handgun if you wanted to. Nobody does. You know, I mean, that it's a pretty short window if there was going to be a bear down there in our, you know, in the river bottom. They have been. You have seen guys find tracks and everything else. I don't personally know of anybody that's had a run in while they were duck hunting. So okay. no, nobody, nobody carries it. You could, you could, we have, we're a, we're a constitutional carry state. You can carry concealed or open anytime, anywhere, you know, I was more the, speaking for, for the most part to carrying lead ammunition while waterfowl. Got hunting. it. Got it. Yeah. I'm yeah. I don't know anybody that, you know, loads up with buckshot to walk down to the duck blind. It's, it's not like that. That's me during snake season, brother. <laughs> I'm Why, they're, they're, they're flying a little high today, boys. <laughs> Bro, I'm telling you, if there's one thing I don't do, it's snakes. I can't. I don't. I don't. Oh. Nope. I don't go. I tend to not go in snaky, snaky areas until after a first frost. I just, for whatever reason, I can't. I can't do snakes. You I, and I are in the same exact boat, man. I... I will take grizzly bears and wolves and lion, you know, all doesn't matter. No big deal. You throw rattlesnakes in the mix. I'm out. I'm out. I'm like, yeah. nope, 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 nope. Hey, you want to go hunt chuckers in the rocks in October? Uh, why? When I could just wait till December when it's everything's frozen, the snakes are asleep. Yeah. <laughs> uh-uh. No, I don't. Don't I got, no, uh, thank, no thank you. We've got cotton mouse and copperheads down here. And there's rattlesnakes, not not anyway um to the degree that that you guys have them out your way, at least yet, I don't think. But you know, the cotton cotton mouse are pretty aggressive. Yeah. Um, now copperheads are not very aggressive, but they are, you know, their their issue with copperheads is most of the time you'll you know, people step on them and that's right. when they get their camouflage is very good you know what i mean whereas cotton right. mouth will eat you um you know <laughs> no thanks no thanks i can't no Man, I, and i think that came from my grandpa quite honestly like oh really kid, yes absolutely did so there's my grandpa's a farmer he's been he's been a farmer for longer than i've been alive um but you know he got out he got out of the army and he um he started farming a little bit. He grew up farming and then he started a welding business. Um, then he, you know, was running the welding business in a convenience store and grandma ran a restaurant and then grandma was like, I'm ready for life to slow down. And so, um, you know, they had, they're raising kids. So they sold, sold the store. Um, and grandpa started farming again. And, you know, I grew up there, you know, um, okay. he's the, he's the per person who taught me to hunt fish and all this stuff. Well, I was a kid. We were over there. He's got, um, he's got like 30 acres on the far end of his property. That's all blueberry bushes. Okay. And he's got a couple of ponds over there that he put crappy and bass in. And, um, so I'm sitting over there fishing and all that stuff. And grandpa's over there, you know, he'll find a snake when he's up there pruning blueberry bushes and he would, he would throw the snake on me or throw it at me. And these are like little green garden. Yeah, 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 yeah. Little black snakes or something. But for whatever reason, man, it terrified me. And I, the the crowning moment was uh, they have a twelve acre pond in their backyard, just beautiful, gorgeous pond. And I grew up fishing on it. And um, yeah, I remember I was after lunch and I was going to go fishing. I walked out of the front door um, and I was walking to the pond. And there's a barn on the way to the pond where all the fishing stuffs kept at. 
So I'm walking there and I kind of got my head down, not paying attention. There's a magnolia tree in grandma's front yard. Well, there's a snake sitting right there at the bottom of the magnolia tree. Well, I freaked out. Obviously, I ran and got grandpa. Grandpa, grandpa, there's a snake. There's a snake. He goes out there. He uh, and it's a, a water snake. And they started killing them water snakes because they were eating grandma's duck egg and all that. Sure. So kills a snake and I proceed on. I go to go in the barn. There's another one right there. So I'm freaked out at this point. I call, get grandpa back over there. He gets rid of that one. And I, I come out of the barn and I go around and there's this big tree um, between the barn and where the boat boat is sitting at, little aluminum John boats. There's one posted up on the side of the tree. Oh, dude. Get that one. All right. So then I go down <clears> to the, and, uh, and all, only place I ever really saw them around the house really was under the boats. Yeah. The boat, they're aluminum John boats, you know, sitting on the edge of the bank and snakes would crawl up under there and hang out in the sun. And uh, when it was heat of the day. So get down there, lo and behold, there's there's one under the boat too. And I just, it, that, dude, from that day, I just, I mean, four snakes just boom, 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 boom. And I just, I no, can't thanks. no thanks. No thanks. I probably wasn't eight years old when that happened, man. And it's started um, for life. Yeah, so, dude. So, do you guys ever have any troubles with like your dogs getting into venomous snakes? I, I mean, m- me no. Um, does it happen? I'm, I'm sure it happens, but okay. I, I don't think it's, it's such a widespread issue. Um, the, like I said, the only venomous snakes we really have in, in huge numbers in this particular area is um, copperheads and you know we have some co- copperhead is probably number one we have cotton mouse um and we do have some rattlesnakes um but for the most part man it, it's not like around like the water's edge and stuff like that um like where you're, I, we'd be sending a dog in and out right you don't really have a ton of venomous snakes to really hang out there uh, outside interesting. that's interesting cotton mouse like water um everything else you know like copperheads they like the woods and brush piles and right. you know like that um and then you know your rattlesnakes are kind of the same same way um but you know it's not a huge concern in this in this area um like where i live now we have gators here oh okay and in like where i'm at in south um we have gators so that would be more of a concern to me yeah than snakes would be and sharks um you know there's we have i don't know how much you pay or don't pay attention to great white sharks and like the you know when shark week happens they do that oh search thing and they show you all this the tracking of all the sharks well the pamico sound is a pretty big popular area for duck hunting okay and great white sharks rip through that thing all the time so i mean at the end of the day like to me there's a lot scarier things to to worry about with a dog than a snake here sure Uh, sure sure i'd be more worried about you know sharks and gators in the winter you don't have to worry about the gators as much but certainly the sharks yeah that's crazy to think about man it's different and obviously i'm sure any and it's not like it's happening all the time otherwise you know guy you'd hear about it and guys be like yeah i put a dog in Pamico sound gonna get eaten by a shark you know i'm sure i'm sure it's happened you know just like i know i know a couple guys that lost dogs in florida 
you know, yeah. to, get, to gators um, to the point where they don't hunt their dogs down, you know, they won't, they won't hunt them where they know there's gators. So it's kind of interesting, but it's, it's the same here when it comes to wolves. Um, and you're not going to bump into wolves when you're hunting ducks, you know, and geese, obviously. But if you're hunting birds, upland birds, or you're using your dog, you're taking your dog with you on a big game hunt for to help with, you know, grizzly bear deterrence, which I do all the time. My labs go with that me. Work? Oh, yeah. Yeah. A dog will run off a grizzly. Oh, all the time. Yeah. If nothing else, they my both. My young lab hasn't had the opportunity to do that yet, but um, my old dog is goes elk cutting with me all the time, and I've That's had great. multiple occasions where he's alerted me to the presence of a bear. Or, awesome. you know, he sits there, you knock knock a bowl down, and you start working on it. Of course, most of the time it's in the evening, it's dark. You know, bears. It's pretty rare to have a bear come and push you off of a carcass. I mean, that doesn't that doesn't usually happen, but you know, they'll, they'll hang out and wait, you know, for you to leave. And then as soon as you leave that carcass, they're on it. And then it's theirs. <laughs> you're not, you're not getting, it. you're not, not going back. back after. You're not getting it back. And so, um, but the dog is handy to have in those situations. It's one more, one more thing to deter a bear if it comes down to that. And it's the biggest thing for me is it just helps having the dog there with you helps, helps you, um, helps you detect those bears before there's a problem, you know, so oh, it's a lot thought. of guy, a lot of guys, your their duck dogs out here, full double duty, you know, I would have never in a million years thought about that. <clears throat> yeah. I would have thought that it would have been maybe a detriment that the, you'd have to worry about the bear trying to get the dog. But... Not at all. Not at all. No bears and horses or not bears, dogs and horses are, their bears are pretty most bears are are pretty scared of dogs and horses you know you definitely see horses would be a prey animal sometimes too i mean there was just a video that came out of this bear chasing this whole herd of horses around but that's that's pretty rare you know horses are big tough mean animal and that's, that's <laughs> you know that's 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 a lot for a bear to, to handle and a dogs, you know, dog, most dogs don't like bears, so they they bark and they're loud, and the bears are just like, ah, get this thing away from me, you know. But the wolves are the wolves definitely could be a problem. I know a guy that killed a wolf um, that was trying to kill his lab. Uh, they were up hunting elk. He had his lab with him, and wolf smelled the dog and came flying out of the timber, and the dog was like, you know, you know how dogs are; they want to run right over and say hi. Oh yeah. And that's the last thing you want your dog to do with a wolf. <laughs> yeah. And uh yeah, he, he he killed the wolf. It was coming right for his dog. Do y'all have open season on wolves there? Yeah, we do. We do. Wyoming is interesting because we have um seasons, er, areas, uh the areas around Yellowstone, um, this kind of like the core areas of the of the greater Yellowstone ecosystem. Those wolves are managed very, very tightly. Like we have a quota. Once that season closes or once that quota is met, hunting's over, wolf hunting's done. Outside of that area is called the predator zone. And in the predator zone, wolves are shoot on site 24-7, 365. You can hunt them at night and do whatever you want. I don't 
know about hunting them at night um per se I've, I've never you know gotten into that um so you know that's how they kill that's how they kill most of the coyotes here right right and yeah, wyoming has some has some pretty restrictive laws on on light on using light sources at night so right. i i don't like like night vision or infrared you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to hunt with that here um oh, interesting yeah but yeah say you know say you're out running around in this country right now and you're out checking your checking your fences or you're you're keeping an eye on your lambs and wolf comes running out trotting out and you're not in you're in that predator zone you just smoke them because there's you know there's places where it's like okay we're gonna have wolves here but we're not gonna have wolves anyplace else and man they spread like crazy they oh, spread yeah. like crazy you know there's always new wolves popping up in parts of the state it's like dude that's almost a south dakota i mean there's a wolf over there you know so we have uh in north carolina we have coyotes and then we have red wolves your red wolves yeah they're very you know for, from my knowledge well first off there's not a whole lot of them right um there and you know the the north carolina state of north carolina is very protective but you cannot shoot a red wolf yeah wow. um so in counties where red wolves are known to be you're not allowed to coyote hunt at night okay um, but everywhere else in the state you can't interesting interesting yeah i know that your red wolves are they're on the ESA and they're trying pretty hard to, to, to recover them. But wow, this just went off on a tangent on wolves. Yeah, we got to talk about predators. We're talking about yeah. predators. Snakes. <laughs> it's all, it's all hunting. It's all hunting. Oh, that's pretty good. So what, what, uh, when you go on your trips this fall, when do you leave and, you know, what is your, what is your season look like? Are you, like you said last year, you spent December at home. Yeah um yeah so i'll be in i'll be in hopefully the around the first week of september i'll be in uh in new york and then okay. i think i'm going on a gator hunt and um right after that and then going from there to southeast texas for a teal from there to oklahoma for a friend's wedding um and then back home and then i'm packing the trailer and getting everything loaded and then going to Canada the first week in October, coming back, um, going to North Dakota the last week in October and then okay. coming back and going to Arkansas in November. Um, and and you're obviously hunting, but how much of that is content production? Every second is every second is an opportunity for content. Um, you know, I, anybody that hunts with me knows that that camera doesn't really leave my hand too much. Right. Um, so, I, um, I, I keep, I keep that thing on me, you know? <laughs> oh, absolutely. You know, if you're not, that's, that's the craziest thing is just always having, always looking for the picture, always looking for that snapping pictures. It's so nice. A couple of times that I've had a dedicated photographer on a hunt yeah. because the pictures that I don't have to think about it, I just doing what I'm doing. And then all of a sudden I get, you know, hundreds of, ridiculously good photos it's a struggle man it truly is to me um yeah you know that camera has done a lot of good for this sport and it's done a lot of bad too yep, yep. um it's a double-edged sword for sure the problem is is that you know me being a brand i really can't help i can't not do it mm -hmm. Um, you know, like the brand doesn't exist if, if there no content exists and no 
availability or visibility on your product exists. Right. Um, but it, it's definitely changed. It's changed this industry. It's changed what I do. Um, and in more ways than one from a positive manner to loop it back into being positive, man, it has totally changed the way I hunt. It really has. It has changed the way that I set, do set up. So like mm-hmm. I set stuff up specifically to make sure that, you know, I'm getting, I'm getting a good angle, whether it's lighting, whether it's, you know, aesthetically, you know, um, I'm a lot more attentive to like blind manners, right? Like I don't want freaking dip cans and little Debbie wrappers and, uh, you know, Mountain Dew bottles laying all over the floor of the blind anymore. Stick that crap in your gun, in your bag. You know, I don't want that in the, in my photo, you know, <laughs> obviously we'd pick it up when we leave, but yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more, it's more of those, um, it's more of those like subtle details and like things that you pay attention to when you look through a lens versus just looking and, you know, how, well, how the final product comes out, um, you know, production value, film angles, exposure, times of day, you know, what filters are you using? All this stuff, man, it, it all matters. And, you know, trying to get that perfect shot or, you know, whatever it is. And anymore, man, I focus a lot of my time on film. Um, you know, I, I do photos, um, you know, if an opportunity has presented itself that, you know, like I want to get that, but my camera's good enough that I can, I can go frame by frame in Premiere Pro and, and take out a photo if I want a photo. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's interesting too, because social media has definitely made that switch to video. You know, that, that's one thing you, you go back when social media, well, Facebook started, you know, kind of started it and then you moved to, you know, Instagram and it was picture heavy and you, you scroll through and, and it's, it's baby, all pictures and very little video. And now it's the exact opposite. It's mostly video and very few pictures. In fact, if you're, I don't know about you, but if you're, if all you do is all I do is post pics, I don't get near the response as I do with video. Well, so it's funny you brought up like the transition. So like Facebook, you know, to my, you know, my side of it is it's more of a place where friends and family kind of connect. Yes. And, yes. You know, it's, it's an opportunity for <laughs> communication and, you know, dialogue. Facebook is about dialogue. And then Instagram came along and it was all about pictures, right? That's when it started. It was, that's what it was. It was all pictures. Right. And then, you know, a few years, you know, they, they did some, you know, you could post videos on Instagram, right? right. But then TikTok comes in. All right. TikTok takes over the freaking world. So <laughs> now you have TikTok and then now Instagram's had to jab back and do the reels thing, which is yep. essentially the same platform, but using Facebook's versus using TikToks. Um, and it's, it's pretty crazy to me how, video driven and it's all about like how many how many how long you can keep somebody's attention on a video right you know from a content generators or a creator's perspective you know um like tiktok is going to bump you up in the algorithm when you have you know what is the percentage of people that watched your video at least 75 percent of the time within the first hour that's how this it's so crazy how these algorithms work and times of day that you post matters everything everything matters it's ridiculous to me 
how it all works. Um, it's a job. That social media stuff is a job in and of itself. Yeah. You know, if you look at, if you look at the, the guys that are very successful at, at social media, they dedicate a lot of time to it. It's not just a, oh, yep, throw up a picture and put a little motivational quote under it and walk off for the day. You're not going to get much that way, you know, and, and it's interesting because it's, it's, it's difficult to keep that in mind sometimes that it's just another part of the job. It's just what you do. Every minute matters when you're, when you're talking about that kind of stuff, man, Every, everything matters. And then too, it's like, you know, engagement, you know, there's a difference between, there's a difference between, you know, having a creator who, you know, gets a lot of likes and there's a difference of having a creator that, you know, is truly connecting with their fans or their audience. Right. 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 So like, I'm huge about, you know, connecting with my customer base, you know? So I spend a lot of time responding to comments or, you know, seeing what's going on with other folks and, you know, commenting on their stuff or, or whatever. And just like showing, being available, being, being out there um, and, and allowing your customers to see you out there in, in the community it is to me, you know, from a brand perspective is, is substantially more important than, you know, somebody like a musician, right? A musician is going to put out their songs. They're going to get up on stage. They're going to sing it. You know, go look at one of Morgan Wallen's posts. There's probably 12 million comments on it. You know, he's not reading those. No, not all of them. Not anywhere no. close to all of them. No. You know, I'm sure he, I'm sure absolutely he, you know, checks in and with his fans and stuff like that. But, you know, um, it's nowhere the same when you're trying to, to run a brand or like, you know, like your social media, for instance, um, you know, you're running a podcast. Your, your literal position is all about engaging with your people right yes, yeah. it, it takes a lot of time um because your listeners without your listeners we're just two dudes sitting here talking yeah just- yeah and well and honestly that's that when we when when we talked about doing this podcast last week or two weeks ago it was like what's this going to look like you know it's going to be an interview it's going to be this i'm like honestly we can do, you know, the, the whole, tell us about you, tell us about what you are. And we can walk down through some stuff and kind of direct it with some questions, but it's way more fun to sit down and have a conversation. Oh, you I'm know, right there with you, man. Back in, I, back in the old, you know, it's all we're doing different between if anything, the podcast world, the social media world has connected us all on a level that was impossible 15 years ago. Right. You know, where you didn't know anybody. You saw them on the outdoor channel or you saw them on a video or whatever. That was it. And now you go places and it's like, there's really no strangers anymore. It's like, you've never met this person, but you're familiar with them based on their social media platforms. Right. It's crazy. It's crazy. It I think it's cool. Wow. I think it's cool. I think like you said, there's negatives and positives. And it's one of those things that if you use it, if you use it correctly, it's a positive, it's definitely a positive tool. You know, I had uh, Ryan be on the grid on last, last week or two weeks ago, and he was talking about it and man, he framed it. He framed some things that made me think. And I think, I hope made, made a lot of people think about just what it is instead of being all, you know, social media is this horrible wicked evil thing not really it doesn't have to be 
you know, it depends on what you do with it. And he has done, he has done a, a heck of a lot of good, man. Yes, um, he has. Ryan is, he, he's, he's an awesome dude. Um, really cool dude, you know, setting up a lot of stuff for the veteran community and doing a lot of things for the veteran community. Um, and, and outdoor community in general, man. I mean, he's just, uh, he's, he is the real deal. Like he is, he is an outdoorsman. 100 percent um i have a ton of respect for him Um, yeah he was he was cool do you guys so that i guess that gets me back into your company your brand you guys are veteran owned veteran operated do you what do you do as far as like veteran hunts do you do any stuff like that do you operate in that community at all so i wouldn't say we i wouldn't say specifically uh operate in that community no um You know, and, and I think part of the reason, if I'm being honest, is um, I ran a, a while I was the East Coast director for a nonprofit um, in the veteran hunting industry um, for, for a good while. Um, a really awesome organization, awesome nonprofit. Um, but I feel like in the quest to start a profitable business or a for-profit company, as opposed to getting away from the nonprofit stuff, I kind of didn't want to blend those two worlds. Um you know, for a couple of reasons. One, um, you know, I didn't want the perception that I was using my status or my notoriety within a nonprofit organization to um, perpetuate a for-profit one. Um, and and the other thing too is, man, I got, I'll be honest, I got burned out. Sure. Um, you know, I, I spent a, a lot, a lot of time and a lot of resources for a lot of years um, putting those things together and being a insanely big part of that. And I loved every minute of it, minute of it. And there were, there were moments that, um, felt to me like, uh, I don't know how to say this maybe in a, in a way that, that sounds better, but, um, in, in more ways than one taken advantage of. Right. Right. Um, you know, and, and, the, the, the veteran that we have now, a lot of the cases or what I started to see was largely unappreciative and grossly entitled to things. Interesting. Um, that that's my perspective being one, you know, um, I don't want anyone to feel sorry for me. Sure. Right. I don't want anyone to, you know, pity me. And I think that's a difference. I think that's a difference different perspective than maybe some people would take, or maybe some people would even agree with at the end of the day, you know, like my perspective of, of the United States veteran should be like, we're a strong fighting force. We were built by the government to defend our values, our flag, everything that we stand for. We are not a weak group. We are not a weak populace. We have something to offer the workforce um, in our communities and in our areas of influence that is powerful. And, right. you know, I, I want to, I want to showcase that um, in a different way. And, and, you know, we partner with MoVets Outdoors out of Missouri. We partner with the Fallen Outdoors and we partner with several other organizations to assist them in events that they have and, and things that are going, um, going on. And, you know, a lot of our following, a lot of our following are vets, you know, sure. and, I want, I want, you know, t- 
to represent the veteran community for myself as someone who had a dream, had a vision, saw it executed. Let's go. Um, and, and I just, I don't want to, at least from like certain areas of, I guess what you're asking. So like maybe like the 22 a day thing, um, you know, and, and trying to, I think people put a lot of focus on that and that's a good thing. Veteran suicide is a huge issue, but I think that, I think that unless you're in that circle, I don't know if you, you understand it as much. Sure. Sure. I think the general public might have a different, a different perception than the reality of, of that and, and maybe some of the causes. And um, so I, I think, I think that's a, that's a touchy subject um, in a lot of circles and I'm, and I'm cool with that. Um, but it, there's a lot more that we could be doing um, and Ryan's approach to it is an incredible one to have Ryan vets every single thing that he does. Right. He gets to know somebody before they go on a trip with him. Um, and the way that Ryan handles his trips in his selection process and all of that is something to be respected. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and I, I admire the way that the way that he goes about it and the impact that he has um, and the things that he does, the connections within the community. I mean, those trips that, that he puts on are life-changing for those folks. And there's a lot of great organizations that are out there doing that. Um, and I was, I was very thankful to be a part of it, um, for as long as I was. And, and I wish that, you know, and this isn't, Ryan isn't really operating as an organization necessarily, but right. Right. You know, I wish <laughs> that the organizations that are out there and being right here in North Carolina, we have, representations of the air force the army the marine corps um coast guard we have almost all of your branches right here and then you know the navy is right there in norfolk um just across the state line of virginia and we have all of these veterans here and active duty service members and you know we therefore we have all of these veteran organizations and you know when i got into it years and years ago uh you know it wasn't there was not a lot of people out there. There was Wounded Warrior Project and right. that was about it. And Wounded Warrior Project was going down a bad path and we were going down a good path. And then people saw what we were doing and they're like, oh, well, I'll just start a nonprofit and I'll start a nonprofit. And then yeah. we're like, our state became an Oprah of nonprofits. You know, you get a nonprofit, you get a nonprofit. And it's <laughs> and, oh, you know, all yeah. of these people that are competing with one another, right? And, you know, and they all, the majority of them are all acronym based. And so, um, you know, for not for people that, you know, not to put anybody on the spot or any organization on the spot, but let's say ABC is, you know, uh, we're better than EFG because ABC did this, this, and this. Well, EFG's got this, this, and this. And it's like, then you get the pro staff folks that work for yeah. these organizations on these pages going back and forth. And, you're all doing the same thing. Your, your goal should be the same, right? right? Right. Like, and at least the organizations that I worked with and for, they're all volunteers. So it's not like, a, it's not like this organization is taking anything out of my pocket. Right. Right. I'm not making anything on this. Like, this is my time that I'm giving to you, you know, and, and to giving to these service members and like it, it, make it about them. Don't make it about your, your organization or, or your name, you know, going into the next level. And it, and it's, it's crazy. It's crazy the way things are right now versus 
the way they started and all of these organizations that have popped up in the, you know, the, the nasty knockdown drag out stuff that I, that I hope none of those veterans ever see, yeah. um, you know, right. and it's, it's gotten to be such a, a problem. Um, and so to answer your question, it makes it very difficult to partner with organizations in this area, because if you partner with ABC, then EFG is going to be really upset. And it's like, like, I don't know. You can't, you can't win for losing. You're going to piss somebody off. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it, I was just curious. I wasn't trying to put you on the spot or anything oh, like no, that. You're not, you know, not. I just kind of, I just kind of wondered and, you know, it's not like, well, I, yeah, I, I do all kinds of work with veterans. So that makes me better than you. You know, it's like, well, no, that's not what, that's not what this is about, but yeah, yeah no, I was just curious, you know, um, so back to combat waterfall then what, what's been your top seller? like back to your merchandise, you know, I, I love the fact that you have taken a tongue in cheek approach to this because you're absolutely right. And that man, we can get so wrapped up in the seriousness. Everybody's so serious. It's so easily butthurt and offended. Yeah. And it's like, hold up, pump the brakes. Hunting's fun. It's supposed to be fun. That's why we do this. Uh, if we're taking ourselves too seriously, then it's just a job. Then it's just one more thing, you know, to do. It's like, why are you out there? So I, I like your approach. I like what you guys have done, but I'm curious as to what you see as being your, like your, your biggest impacts, your, your best sellers. The, the number one, the number one shirt design ever is Kudicus Volume One. <laughs> Kudicus Maximus Volume One, bar none, by far, probably, I mean, by a by several thousand units, oh. by very a high number of thousand units, more than any other design. That's um, awesome. And and majority of that happened within the first six months of that coming out. And like really? no design has been able to like catch it. Like total number of volume. I mean, we're still that shirt came out in November of 2020, and we still stock it on the website and it still sells. Don't mess I mean, with a good it, thing, right? Yeah, right. Um, and so Kudakus has come back a couple different times, and all of Kudakus designs really go, they they really take off. Um Woodrow Bilson, uh, he's our wood duck. He uh he he's rowdy man like he does he does good um like this last time he came out he was riding a lawnmower with an american flag in the back uh flying off the back of the lawnmower um shuck norris is probably another another top one um you know the first time he came he was hanging out in a cornfield you know laying on his back eating a corn cob and there's a combine in the back you know cutting the field and he's he's like i don't care man i'm just gonna lay right here and i'm gonna eat this corn um, and then he came back, he just came back recently, a couple months ago, um, to the, to the flooded timber and he's going out baiting his hole. He's driving a mud boat, boats full of corn. Uh, he's standing up there. He's come back from a duck hunt, going to bait his hole. Um, yeah, man. I mean, the coot, the mallard, the wood duck, um, those are probably your, your top sellers. And then you, you have things that like, I guess, you know, something that if somebody goes and looks at our brand, 
things that we integrate into the design that you'll never know, like Clyde, Clyde Featherston. All right. That's our, that's our Spoonie. Um, he on the Clyde volume one, he's riding an eighties Honda three wheeler. Um, you know, and he's just like a, a regular, just crazy, dumb redneck guy. Right. Well, there's a posted sign that's in that, in that, um, in that design It's sitting up on the, on the side in the back. And, you know, like I grew up listening to all kinds of music, but, um, you know, there's, uh, there's a song, Mike Jones, uh, is a rapper that was pretty popular in like the early two thousands. Um, he had a, he put his phone number in a song. It's two, eight, one, three, three, Oh, eight, zero, zero, foe. Well, that's the phone number that's on the post-it sign. Really? And yeah. And then oh, like, that's you, take, clever. you take, um, like the boys in the hood design. Okay. Um, those are hooded mergansers. So you're playing off of like boys oh. in the hood, hooded mergansers. And, you know, like you see the shotgun shells on the street and stuff like that, but there's subtle hints that like a waterfowl hunter is going to know is, you know, hooded mergansers, wood ducks, they kind of share the swamp together. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a, a chalk outline of a wood duck on the ground. And you would only know that it's a wood duck if you know what a wood if duck. If you know what a wood duck looks like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. And a lot of people like miss that, right? Um, and then like Fal Capone that just came out um, in the beginning of the year, the snow goose. Um, you know, like a lot of people call them like gangsters, like snow geese are gangster, man. You know, like they're greasy, they're gangster, you know, whatever. So we turned a snow goose into a gangster into the gangster with a gang old gangster car a tommy gun you know uh in the background there's a tornado of snow geese Uh you know they twist down and then you know it's um so like elements and then there's one of the more recent um ribeye ralph you know that's a it's a sandhill crane you know people call sandhill cranes the ribeye Ribeye sky sky. yep so we put a a sandhill crane in the back of a chinook helicopter up in the air flying around grilling a steak um just like things like that that you know the average person who doesn't duck hunt who's never duck hunted sees that and they're like oh man that's funny that's a duck riding a lawnmower right Uh, or oh that's funny that's two ducks riding down the street but you know somebody who's you know, maybe a, a newer waterfowl hunter, but oh man, those are hooded mergansers. That's cool as hell, you know? Like, yeah. oh. And then yeah. you get a like, diehard waterfowl hunter who like, he's like, man, that that's funny because- Of all know, those things that you integrated into it. Hooded mergansers fighting for the <laughs> same place yeah. on the same street, so to speak, as, um, as these wood ducks. And, you know, here's, yeah. here's, you know, this chalk outline of this wood duck posted up right there. Man- it's not, there's something for everybody in this brand and there's a space for everybody to exist. Um, and, and the, the one thing that they all have in common is, is the lighthearted humility approach that, that we try to take on things. Um, you know, I, I pride, I pride myself in the business to integrate some of those little things. Um, and, you know, always kind of remembering, you know, some of the stuff you'll see a lot of, um, a lot of the stuff has like leg bands, like a lot of our birds will have leg bands and there's 2019, you know, on the leg bands here we started, you know, like trying to like integrate these little, like, I guess, um, specifics yeah. into the design that, that means something. Um, we had a, a really tragic accident happen. Um, the beginning of the year, uh, we had a plane go down 
crash and um, there were children and a couple of adults that that were killed on that um, on that plane. And it was a really I'm, did you hear about it? I I don't recall. It it was a big deal in the you know especially here in this state, but in the sure. water community, kind of just branched out and. Um, you know, there, there are four children and, um, few adults that, that got killed. And, okay. um, you know, when that plane went down, we decided to, I decided to do a Carteret strong shirt. So Carteret County, North Carolina is where this happened. And okay. Okay. I called my designer and I was like, Hey, listen, like this is, I mean, this is, I live, you know, three miles from the Carteret County line. You know, I, I, this are, you know, we got my people down there, you know? Right. Right. Um, so we did this, we did this design and, you know, the approach that I took with it was, um, was four green wing teal representing the children, you know, uh, two Drake pintails representing the two men and a hen pintail representing the female. And they're, they're all kind of like taking off, like taking flight, Okay. Um, you know, and there's a shrimp boat in the background, there's oysters in the foreground, you know, the cloud was in the shape of Carteret County. The lighthouse on the side was Carteret County's lighthouse. And like sure. tying all of these things in because they mean something. Right, right. You know, right. and the more you look at a shirt of ours, the more little things that you'll see. And like, it, it makes it fun to me to be able to have that relationship with some of the customers to be like, oh man, I, I seen what you did there, you know? Um, and it's just, I don't know, man, it's, uh, it's something different. It's one of the things that sets us apart. Um, but it's one of the things that I'm most treasure about the brand. No, I, I, it's what, that's one of the things that are the thing that made me reach out to you and say, Hey, why don't you jump on and let's, let's chat hunting and, and you about your company, because you look at your brand and it, it, it screams uniqueness. It screams fun it screams attention to detail, you know, but they're, like you said, you're covering all your bases with those. You pick up a shirt and it's like on the surface, it's the one thing, but then there's so many other little details that you start digging in. And you're like, wow, there's a lot of thought that went into this. This yeah. is, this is super cool, but I, I think that's, I think it's neat. I, I think that, you know, I, it's, I appreciate what you're doing. Uh, it's, it's really easy to get just too, too serious about life and step back, chill out, laugh, have fun with something that's supposed to be fun in the first place. Right. We get to do the thing one time, man. That's it. That's right. 100%. We get our chance here and that's it. We're gone. We're done. It's over. hundred um, percent. You know, so I try to, I try to in every way that I can try to have fun, man. Yeah. Well, dude, I appreciate your time. We've been oh, talking. We've been talking for almost almost hours. two hours now. Yeah, which is which is really cool. I I appreciate your time. Um, I got I'm gonna close with a question that I ask. Try to rem- when I can remember it, I try to ask it. If you could only hunt one bird one way for the rest of your life, what's it gonna be? One species. One species of bird in one particular style or method. Mm. One species in one way for the rest of my life. Um, man, I'm gonna say I'm gonna be different. I'm I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Gadwall in a dry field. Mm. 
Why Gadwalls? They do it, bro. (laughs) A Gadwall to me. That's a t-shirt right there. They, the Gadwall to me are a, for one, they're just a beautiful bird. A a Drake Gadwall to me is one of the most beautiful birds there is. Um, But they commit, like if they're going to do it, they're going to do it. Um, And I just, and being in a, doing in a dry field is, is awesome to me um widgeon are the same way and it was tough to like go between a gadwall and a widgeon um you know a lot of people just you know all these are gray ducks you just gadwall you know whatever but like right there's the the hidden beauty of that bird is when you really pick it up and you get it in the light and it shines um and you know the subtle the subtleties of a gadwall um they're just they're beautiful to me um so i appreciate that and you know on the same note I appreciate the widgeon for um, they're all different. Mm-hmm. You know, like finding two Drake widgeon that are exactly the same is very. Oh, yeah, you can't, you can't do it. They're not like mallards that are like, eh, that's no. Drake mallard. They look the same. Um, you know, so widgeon and gadwall, probably two of my favorite birds to hunt. Doing it in a dry field is the way I would do it all day. Um, just because that's not, we don't get to hunt dry fields here. Uh, yeah. where I, so, right, right. Um, you know, if I could only do that, I would, I would do that. 100%. That's cool. That's cool. I got to ask you though, like what, yeah. what for you? You know, probably I mean, if if I break it into just waterfowl, it's going to be mallards in a cornfield, you know, in the, in the snow. It's just I and mean, it's exactly what you just said about the about gadwalls. They just do it bro <laughs> i mean they when you get them hungry and it's cold and it's snowing they just commit hard yep and nothing's keeping them out of that field you know and they just storm you whereas you get mallards on the water and they could be they could be touchy you know they, they can be very picky yeah and in a field when it's cold and it's snowing nah hang on to your butts because they're just gonna, they're gonna they're gonna storm you you know and i i love that I absolutely love that. Um, if I were to broaden it out and say birds in general and not just waterfowl, I'd probably have to go with hunting rough grouse and in where I grew up back, back in the upper peninsula of Michigan, there's just, there's something about that bird, man, that just, just does it get pointing dog, a good pointing dog in the woods. It's awesome. It's awesome. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Man, I know you're trying to cut this out. I know know your listeners are probably going to be a little bored with a two-hour episode. No, no. (laughs) Keep them going. You'd be amazed. You'd be amazed because you and I have covered a a wide variety of topics and ideas, which is good. That's that's good. But we've focused on, you know, who you are and your brand and what you do at the same time. And so if I got you this far in the podcast, you guys need to check out Combat Waterfall. You can find them on social media. You can find, you've got a website. You guys are everywhere out there and check out what they, what they've got. They're just, your designs are phenomenal. Like I said, if you like to have fun and duck hunt and all that stuff, this brand is one that you definitely, you definitely got to buy a shirt. You definitely got, or, or 10. <laughs> yeah, no, we're, we're 10. Yeah. And uh, we dipped our toes into fishing a little bit. We've got a, uh... We got a, we got into some fishing. We got into some turkey hunting. Um, we got some whitetail stuff coming this fall. Oh, cool! Um, whitetail stuff is more a little bit more on the serious side, but 
I definitely appreciate um, appreciate you having me, Todd, mm-hmm. and this opportunity um, to be a part of this podcast and Eastman's Hunting Journal. It's huge, man. Um, so I I really appreciate that. Yeah, no, my pleasure, my pleasure. And if if you get a wild hair and you get out, you want to come out this way and shit ducks in January, let me know. All right, I'll, I need an invite, brother. Yeah, you got a spot in the blind anytime you want it, man. Just, I appreciate that. Just give me a holler and we'll, we can make it happen. Thank you, Todd. I yep. appreciate it, brother. Cool, man. Thanks again, and I'll talk talk to you later. Yes, sir.